All right, we're going to go ahead and jump right in. Um, For those of you who have not been a part of our group in the past, um, we are studying um, Jesus in the Old Testament. Jesus in the Old Testament. And so what we're looking for is we're looking for types and shadows. We're looking for reminders of us of who Jesus is. Who is Jesus? He's our Savior. Uh, Who is Jesus? He's our Good Shepherd, right? I'll read Psalms 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I automatically begin to think, okay, what does a shepherd do? He takes care of sheep. And then I realized that that was King David writing that, right? And then I realized that uh, almost uh, 900 years later, his great-great-grandson stood up in front of a bunch of Jews and said, I am the good shepherd. I'm the one you've been singing about all these centuries. I'm the one that takes care of my sheep. And they picked up stones to try to kill him. And so the entirety of the Bible is about Jesus. And when we read the Old Testament, we can see pictures of Jesus. Last week when we were together, we began a first, the first part of the two-part um, topic of the fact that Jesus is both gracious and Jesus is just. Y'all remember us talking about that? Jesus is both merciful and Jesus is just. God's mercy and God's justice are both expressions of who He is. And so I'm sure that every one of you in this room have heard someone, probably maybe even teaching from this pulpit up here, uh, I hope not, but maybe, that said something like this, the God of the Old Testament is not the same God of the New Testament. The God of the Old Testament was fire and brimstone and lightning and destruction, and the God of the New Testament was a God of love and compassion and mercy and grace. Well, the problem with that is, is that you're dividing God up, and God is indivisible, right? He is, he is uh, both justice, and he, he expresses both justice and mercy. And in God's eyes and from God's point of view, His justice and His mercy are never in conflict. And that is the very reason why Jesus had to come and die on the cross. Because you and I, there are none righteous. How many? No, not one. And what that means is, if every one of us in this room got what we deserved, we would all go to hell for eternity. And because God is just, He can't change that judgment on us, can He? He has to find us unrighteous. He has to find us guilty. And He has to condemn us to eternity in hell. But He loved us so much that He sent His Son and He allowed His Son to bear the justice we deserved so that we could have a mercy that we could never earn. And so when Jesus died on the cross, Jesus was both expressing the mercy of God and being the lamb that laid it, or the shepherd that laid His life down for His sheep, and He expressed Himself as... The sacrificial lamb, he took the death that we deserve so that we could have a life that we could never earn. And so God, his Father, took the justice that we deserved and poured it on his Son on that cross. And because his Son has now taken that justice, we have now been pardoned, we have been redeemed, we have been forgiven, and we are now allowed to enjoy a mercy that we could never earn. We would have never deserved anything, never could have earned it. But by Jesus dying on the cross, God can fulfill both His mercy and His justice at once. See how that works? And so the whole entirety of the Bible is the story of Jesus and Him coming to save us. 
And when we look at the Old Testament, we see over and over again constant reminders of Jesus uh, and who He is. Uh, and so I want to just remind you really quickly, remember last week when we were together, if you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter um, 18. Um, we were in this last week, so I'm not going to go over it again, but in Genesis chapter 18, we learned of the birth of Isaac, the promised birth of Isaac. And so remember, how do we see Jesus in the promised birth of Isaac? Well, one of the ways that we see Jesus in the birth of Isaac is through the barren womb. The barren womb. How many of you remember, what does it mean to say that Sarah's womb was barren? What did that mean? She couldn't have babies. Why could she not have babies? She was old. So what does that mean? It was physically impossible for her to have a child, right? Physically impossible for a child, her to have a child, right? Well, guess who else it was physically impossible for them to have a child? Mary. That's exactly right. Mary could physically, impossible not. She, it was impossible for her to have a child. Why? Because she had never known a man. You see? And so it was through the act of God that she conceived and gave birth. In the same way with Sarah and Isaac. It was an act of God that gave her the ability to have that child. <clears throat> How many of you remember in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, God promised the devil, he said, one day the seed of the woman is going to crush your head. Right? Well, you and I, all of us in this room, we are all born of the seed of the man. And we don't have to have a birds and bees class to understand that. There's not a single one of us in this room that was not born from the seed of a man. And if you got kids, they were born from the seed of a man. But there was something about the seed of the woman that was promised to the devil. And the promise was one day that woman that you deceived in the garden, one day she's going to have a baby that's going to get you. And he's going to crush your head and you're going to bruise his heel. So all the way back in the beginning, there was already the promise that one day the woman was going to have a child. That was going to, and so we see Jesus in that as well. So we see Jesus in the promise. Um, remember, we also see Jesus in his family tree. Remember in the book of Luke, so-and-so begot so-and-so, and so-and-so begot so-and-so. In the book of Matthew as well, right? In Matthew and in Luke, they're both genealogies of Jesus. And in both of those genealogies, guess who's mentioned? Abraham and Jacob, uh, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And so we see this promised child, Isaac, coming. We realize that Jesus is 100% God, but he's also 100% man. And he comes from the family tree of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He had to. He had to come from the family tree of David because he had to have the. Uh, right to the throne. You see? And so as we read the Old Testament, we keep seeing all of these pictures of Jesus. And uh, last time we were together, we talked about how merciful He was. We talked about how He had made promises to Abraham and that in His mercy, He's going to keep those promises. And I don't know if any of you have noticed this or not, but as you read the story of Abraham, Abraham screws up a lot. Abraham is righteous in God's eyes because God has given him his righteousness. See, it says Abraham believed God and God counted that towards his righteousness. So in faith, Abraham received the righteousness of God. 
Abraham's righteousness did not come through him. It came through God. And so God had forgiven him. God had given him righteousness. But even though he was righteous in God's eyes, he still fell. Constantly making mistakes. Constantly doubting God. What did Abraham ask Sarah? About, what did Sarah do when she heard that she was going to have a baby? She laughed. Same thing any of us in this room would do if we were 80 years old and somebody told us we were fixing to have a kid. She laughed in unbelief. And yet, watch, Sarah's unbelief did not negate that promise, did it? How many of you have doubted your salvation in the past, right? Well, the reality is if you're saved, it's not because of your believing. It's because God saved you and gave you a promise. And God always keeps His promise. And so your doubting is not going to make Him break that promise. Your sinning is not going to cause Him to break that promise. And that's one message that we can see all through the Bible. Everybody from Adam to the last man standing, we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. And if, if my sin could cause me to lose my salvation, then the work of Jesus on the cross was not enough. The Good Shepherd has never lost a single sheep. Never. He is not up in heaven right now sitting on the throne pulling his hair looking at Billy down there burning in hell going, oh no, one of mine got away. That don't happen. Forgive me, there's a Billy in the room. But the point is is that he does not lose sheep. And he does not break his promises. He is merciful. We don't deserve his mercy. It's given to us as a gift. It's a gift of God's grace, you see? And so as we were looking at that last week, we were seeing where where God is a merciful God. So I want to give you some things to think about today. We're going to stay in Genesis, but before we get into the text of Genesis, I do want to read a text in the book of Romans, and we'll open in a word of prayer, and then we'll go back to Genesis chapter 18 and 19. So turn with me to Romans really quickly. Uh, We're going to look at Romans chapter... Let me find it. We're going to look at Romans chapter 9. And we're going to start in verse 18. Uh, Let's start back a little further. Let's start in 16. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. Now that passage says it, meaning our salvation. Our salvation does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. So who does my salvation depend upon? God and His mercy. mercy. Okay? And then it says this, For the Scripture said uh, to Pharaoh, now uh, this is God speaking to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I raised you up. Alright, who's speaking to who? God is speaking to Pharaoh. And He said, This is the reason, Pharaoh, that I raised you up. To demonstrate my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. Alright, so what he's saying to Pharaoh is, the very reason that you were ever put on this earth was so that I could show the world how powerful I am. And remember, all of those plagues that he zapped Pharaoh with, it was a battle between Pharaoh's gods and God. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Every one of those plagues had something to do with one of the gods that Pharaoh worshipped. And the Yahweh, the true God, uh, our covenant-keeping, promise-keeping creator, was saying, your gods are nothing, and I'm going to show you that by putting the beat down on you and them. And so he said, I raised you up, Pharaoh, so that my power, uh, to demonstrate my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. All right, so think about that. 4,000 years ago, we're still talking about it today, right? It's still being proclaimed throughout the earth. He said, so then he has mercy on whom he desires and he hardens whom he desires. Who is he? God. He has mercy on whom he desires and he hardens whomever he desires. What does it mean to harden someone? Harden your heart. Right. Now, if you go back and you look at the, the story of Pharaoh in, in the Old Testament, you'll see that it says that Pharaoh hardened his heart. Right? But it also says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And so, see, what here's what happens. How many of us that are children of Adam deserve God's salvation? No one. So what that means is the whole world is under the condemnation of sin and death. And if God's grace does not reach down and save you, guess what happens? You never believe and you become what? Harder and harder and harder and harder. But if God in His grace reaches down and pulls you out of the muck and the mire and sets your feet upon the rock, which is Jesus Christ, then guess what happens to your heart? He creates in you a new heart. He gives you uh, a regenerated heart. He saves you. All right. So what, what it says here is God has mercy on who He wants to have mercy on. Now, every one of us in this room might say, well, that's not fair. Right? What do you mean? It's like it's, it should be up to me whether I'm... It should be my choice. And what the Bible says, no, it's not your choice. It's God's choice. And He says... You will say to me, to me, why does he still find fault for who resists his will? In other words, God, why do you condemn all them people and send them to hell if you never saved them? It's your fault that you didn't save them. But remember, how many people in the world deserve death and hell? Everyone. And it's God in his grace who reaches down and saves who he wishes. Why? Look, go back up to that verse where it says, It does not depend upon the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. All right? So let's, let's think about this story with Sarah and Abraham. All right? Could Sarah and Abraham use their free will at that point in their life to have a baby? No. Why not? Not them together. Why? Physically impossible. So even if they chose to try to have a baby, it ain't happening, is it? It had to be an act of God that gave her the ability to have a child. Now, I want you to apply that to your life. Jesus said to Nicodemus, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless a man is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Alright? Can you show me one person in this room who chose to be born? No. 
That's not something we choose. If you're in this room today and you are a blood-bought, born-again child of God, it because God reached down into a world full of people that deserved hell and said, I love you too much to let you die and go there. So guess who is always going to get the credit and the glory for saving you? God, not you. Now, if it's up to you, if you said, oh, I chose him, then who gets the glory? You do. What makes you different than the man in hell? You could say, oh, well, I chose and he didn't. I I didn't reject God. That man rejected God. I didn't reject God. And what this pastor is saying is, had God not reached in with grace, you would have rejected Him too. Remember I told you that the Bible is all about Him, not us. Now, what is so beautiful about that is, who am I going to be trusting for my salvation? God and God alone. Not me. Because there's going to be some days I wake up and I don't feel saved. There's going to be some days that I wake up and doubt my salvation. If you wake up and feel like you are doubting your salvation, this one of two things, all right? Now, I'm just going to be blunt and honest with you. One of two things, if you're doubting your salvation, one, you're not saved. Or two, you're saved and you're, you've gotten into your mind and your heart that something you have done, something you are doing, or something that you will do is going to keep you or make you saved. You're, le- you're leaning on your own understanding. You're leaning on your own choice. You're leaning on your own actions. Did I really ask Him into my heart? Did I really mean it when I asked Him to save me? Who am I dependent on in both of those? Yeah, that's exactly right. And the reality is when God breaks your heart and gives you a new heart, when He reaches in and pulls that heart of stone out of you and gives you a heart of flesh, you begin to realize He loved me despite me. It wasn't something I wanted. It was something He wanted for me. And now that He has saved me, now I want to. And so, if you're in this room and you find yourself struggling with your salvation, in my own personal life, if I struggle and doubt my salvation, one of the reasons I do that is maybe because I've fallen back into some pattern of sin in my life. And so I'm looking into the mirror saying, well, I don't look like I'm saved. Again, who am I looking at? What I need to do is I need to look to the cross and see that I was crucified with Christ and it's no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me and the life that I now live. I live by the faith. By my faith? By the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. It's His faith. I was saved by grace through faith. It is a gift of God, not of words, lest any man should boast. All right. Now what, listen to that verse again. For this is Ephesians, right? And what did he say? You are saved by grace through faith. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should move. Well, what is it? Let's quote it. Let's do the verse again. You are saved by grace through faith, and it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should move. What is the it? For you are saved by grace through faith. It is a gift of God. How many of y'all think it's salvation? How many of y'all think it's grace? How many of y'all think it's faith? You're all right. It's all three of them. Your faith, 
your grace and your salvation are all three gifts from God. You did not pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and believe. God reached in and gave you a new heart. Now how did that work? Somebody preached the gospel to you and through the power of the preached word and the power of the Holy Spirit, He reached in and ripped that heart of stone out of you, placed a heart of flesh in you, washed you clean through His word, and placed within you His Spirit and gave you desires that you never had on your own. In the same way that when He promised Abraham and Sarah they were going to have a baby, that baby was the work of God, not them. In the same way that Mary had a baby, that baby was the work of God, not of her. And not of Joseph. Make sense? Mm-hmm. Alright, so. You will say then, why does he still find fault for who resists his will? On the contrary, who are you, O man, to answer back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this? What? So there's nobody going to be in hell screaming up at God and saying, why did you make me like this? Now, now look, I'm in hell because you made me like this. The reality is every son of Adam is born in a fallen state with his teeth grinding, his fist clenched, and he has a hatred in his heart for God and everything of God. Every son of Adam. When them little babies is born and they do look cute and sweet, but they vomit and they poop and they smell really bad and they have bad tempers and when you pull a pacifier out of their mouth their face turns red and the veins stick out on the side of their forehead and one of the first things that a little kid learns to say when he's a kid is no and mine they're selfish, self-indulgent, self-righteous rascals right? Uh, Vody Balcom pastors calls them vipers and diapers and it's true and as we get older, we don't change, do we? We stay self-righteous, self-sufficient, self-indulgent. And we're, what did, what did he say? You were dead in your trespasses on sin. Walking according to the course of this world. Walking according to the power, the prince power of the air. Walking according to the sons of disobedience. We were children of wrath by nature. But God, who is rich in mercy. There's that word again, that mercy. So in His justice, what do we deserve? Hell and damnation. In His mercy, what do we get? Salvation. Why? Because Jesus died on the cross and took the justice we deserve so that we can have the mercy that we can never earn. Okay? And so, what He's saying here is, who are you, O man, to answer back to God? God is the one that created us, but God did not create us fallen. We turned our backs on God. Adam and Eve were created perfect. They were created in the image of God and they were created perfect. And instead of choosing to walk in God's will, they turned away from God and brought death and destruction not only upon himself, but upon every child they ever had. Including me and you. So, God could answer back to us and say, y'all walked away from me. And yet, even though you walked away from me, even though you were spitting in my face and sinning against the, and destroying the image that I created you in, even though you hated me, even though you despised me, even though you were destroying your bodies and your families and everything around you, even though you were a child of wrath and a son of disobedience, I loved you too much to let you live that way. And I reached down into that world and saved you because you are mine. You are my sheep and I gave my life for you on that cross and you are mine. 
mercy, and He don't change. So the reality is that every person in hell right now still hates God. Sure. They have no desire. They they want they might want to be out of hell, but they don't want anything to do with God. And they don't want to go to heaven because they would hate it there because God's there. And so, who are you, old man? Ask me. So if somebody says, "Well, it's not my fault. He made me that way," right? And so what do you say? Who are you to answer back to God? Shall 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 the thing mold and say to the molder, "Why did you make me like this?" Or does the potter not have the right over the clay to make from some lump one vessel for honor and one lump for common use? All right. It's talking about a potter, and they make bowls. And so what he's saying is one he makes a cooking pot out of one clay bowl, and then he makes a, a bedpan out of the other one. Common use. That's what he's talking about. A, a foot washing bowl or a, a bedpan or a, ba- a toiletry. You see? And he's saying, who are you, old man, to answer back to me? I'm the potter. I make the bowls I want to make, and I make them how I want to. Now look what he says next. What if God, willing to demonstrate His wrath, what is, what is His wrath? His anger. His righteous, just anger. What if God, although willing to demonstrate His wrath and to make His power known, endured with much patience, patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? And he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon the vessels of mercy which he prepared beforehand for glory. Think about what he's saying there. He's saying some people were created for wrath and destruction and some people were created for his mercy. And in both instances, God gets the glory. Because every person in hell deserves to be there and not one single person in heaven deserves to be there. And if He saves you, He is expressing His mercy. And if He sends you to hell, He's displaying His justice. And there's not a person in hell that can scream and say, it's your fault, God, you made me like this. That's heavy stuff, isn't it? But if you remember this, God is good. And He always does what is right. So, you'll have a friend say to you something like this. You'll have a lost friend say something like this to you. If you're God, they'll, they'll put it like, if your God is so good, why does He send people to hell? How many of y'all have heard that statement before? All right. Well, flip it on them and say this. He's also just... And if God is so just, why does He let anybody go to heaven? You see that? Do you see how that works? Nobody deserves to be in heaven. So, this person who is willfully suppressing the truth that there is a God and they are under His condemnation and judgment are saying, that's not fair. If He's so good, why does He he send people to hell? That's not fair. And what does Paul say? Who are you to answer back to God? And say He's not fair. He makes the vessels He wants to make. 
And the truth of the matter is, in our fallen nature, all of us deserve hell. So the question we ask is, if he is so just, then why do I get to go to heaven? And what is the answer? Jesus. Jesus. The answer is Jesus. Because he took the wrath we deserve and poured it on his vessel of mercy. He took the wrath we deserve and poured it on his vessel of mercy. It was Jesus. And because he took that wrath for us, we can now have his mercy when we don't deserve it. Yes, sir. Okay. So you said uh, God makes, like, he, he creates, he, he creates people, or like, as a baby, he already know if you're going to hell. Yes. So he creates people. God knows everything. Okay, yo. No, I've got to answer that's it right. He makes people that he already know going to hell. He made Adam and Eve in his image. Uh-huh. And when Adam and Eve turned away from him, what did he promise him? If you eat from that tree, you will surely die. die. Will surely die. And because they ate from that tree, what did they bring upon himself? Sin. 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 Huh? You're going to die. What happened to their kids, Cain and Abel? They died. What happened to every child of Adam since then? They died. Why? Because God always keeps His promise. And what was the promise? If you sin, you die. So God created us in His image, but we turned away from His truth. We turned away from His will. And now every son that is born into this world is born into this world under the condemnation of God's wrath and justice. Everybody. Nobody deserves heaven. Not one single person. So, if I say, who deserves to go to hell? Everybody. And God reaches down and expresses His mercy on some of those. Who are they? They're His people. So, everyone in this room is either a vessel of wrath or a vessel of mercy. Right? Does God knowing who you are negate your actions? No. No. So what has to happen is you have to either... So what's going to happen is this. You are either going to... Your life, your entire life, is going to be an expression of what kind of vessel you are. So you... Well, that's the word I was trying to see. If you were saying that, like, we don't have... Like, we have no, like, choice... You know what I mean? Right. That's what I'm Right. So, it, um, so God is sovereign and we are responsible. You are responsible to repent, to realize that you are a sinner, to realize that you deserve hell, to realize that without Jesus Christ, you are dead in your trespass sin. You have to realize that you deserve hell. You have to realize that you are a sinner and that there is nothing that you can do to save yourself. Nothing. All of those things. That's what the law teaches you. The law teaches you to fear God. Because none of us can live up to its standard. Right? And once you realize that, you also have to hear the gospel. And what is the gospel? That Christ came down into a world full of how many people that deserved hell? And died on a cross to save a people for himself. 
Who are those people? All of those who will believe on Him. You have the responsibility to believe on Him. If you believe on Him, if you believe on Him, what kind of vessels does it show that you are? Mercy. Mercy. But not your mercy, His mercy. What it shows is that He reached out in the world and you were someone He chose. Now who gets the credit for that? He does. You don't get the credit for that. Did He know all along? Yes. Did you? No. Do I know who God's people are? No. Who am I who am I commanded to preach the gospel to? Everybody. Everybody. Because see, that's the way that God discerns who his vessels of mercy and who the vessels of wrath are. What will a vessel of mercy do? Receive and believe the gospel, turn away from sin itself, and turn to Christ and his work on the cross. And what does that do? Does that save them? No, it shows that they're saved. <coughs> Your repenting does not save you. Your repenting is a fruition that He has saved you. Your turning from sin itself is not what saves you. It's the proof that He did save you. See how that works? And what happens when you get a grasp of that and realize how powerful that is, what you're realizing is, it was never in my hands to begin with. Good. Because you would have never chosen. Every one of you in this room have been to rock bottom. And had it not been for God reaching down in your life, you would have never turned. If you were in this room today because you were trying to avoid a sentence or trying to get your family back or try to get financially stable again or to get healthy and wealthy and wise, if that's why you're here today, you're here for the wrong reasons. You're here for you. But if you're here today because God looked down in His mercy and saw one of His sheep broken and busted and lost, if you were one of the ninety and nine, He came and found you. Amen. And He pulled you out of that alley. He pulled you out of that lifestyle. He pulled you out of that sickness and that death and that addiction. And He has given you a life. A life that lasts forever. Amen. And if you're His, it's going to come out in you the rest of your life. Yes. If you're truly His, it's going to come out in you the rest of your life. Now, is it going to be perfect? No. Look at the stories of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. and all, They're all screw-ups. Peter, immediately after he had just said, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. We have nowhere else to go. You have the words of life. You're the Messiah. And then in the very next sentence, Jesus is saying, get behind me, Satan. Because Peter said, no, you can't go to the cross. You see? We're, we're a mess. But we have a God who can restore us and build us and make us, the, make us who we're supposed to be in, instead of who this world is trying to make us into. Amen. So does that help answer? So, so it's like... First of all, the mystery of predestination and the mystery of God knowing who are His, is His. that's for Him. That's not for us to know. It's not my job to go around and try to pick out who His people are. That's the work of the Word of God and the Spirit of God. That's who separates the sheep from the goats. Not the preacher. And not a Sunday school teacher. And not your peers and your co-workers. Amen. That's God's work. 
And the way it works is the truth goes out and if you are a vessel of mercy, you yield to that truth and bow before that truth and receive it and believe it and become a part of that truth. If you're a vessel of wrath, you reject it with your dying breath. Okay, somebody... Um, so, I mean, maybe people are here for the wrong reasons. Don't you think God can turn that around? He, you better believe it. Yeah, so. Remember. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, yes, there is no doubt about that. Guys, I can't tell you. So, I can't, I can't honestly put, take to you to a point in my life. So, at eight years old, my grandfather was a fire and brimstone Baptist preacher, independent fundamental Baptist preacher. And I got, I went down the aisle for the first time at about eight years old and I ran out down the aisle in tears because he had been preaching for an hour and a half with spit flying and sweat dripping about hell and how awful it was. And I ran down that aisle because I didn't want to go to hell. All right? I do believe 100% without a doubt that God was already at work in my life and already drawing me towards Him. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But I got away from God as a teenager and acted like a complete idiot. The same story as most of you in this room. And I fell. And then I turned back to Him. And He was there with His mercy and His grace. He forgave me. He saved me. He set my feet back on on a good solid ground. And man, I was on fire for, for God then. And then I fell again in drugs. And almost destroyed my life and destroyed some dear friends and family. You see? And so what I do now, I'm 53 years old. Now I look back over the last 53 years of my life. And I can see where God has been constantly at work in my life. And constantly dragging me along. He is conforming me to His image. And there's a lot of bumps and bruises and cracked skulls and tears and pain and suffering and God listen he has saved me and he has forgiven me but I pay every day psychologically spiritually financially for decisions that I made when I was 18 19 16 20 years old today to this day I still feel the pain of those things why because the wages of sin is death And even though I've been forgiven, I still feel the effects of that death. And the willful rejection of His truth in my life. I willfully chose to walk away from Him. And I can look back on my... To this day, I still struggle with with my thought patterns and uh, old memories and guilt and shame. I still struggle with those things every day. And anybody that tells you that the Christian life is is just a life of just happiness and bliss and joy, 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 and Joel Osteen with shiny bright teeth on a television, that is not Christianity. Christianity is dying to self and living for Christ. And we don't want to die. It is joy and it is peace. But it is always not always happiness. The road to the cross is a, a road of pain and suffering. Sure. Sure. 
And the eternal life that you would spend without him would be eternally worse than that. Yes. I, I just got one question. Uh, what's, can you tell me that scripture like where it says in the Bible where it says you, you say uh, real God is like the beginning of wisdom? It, so there's like, several different places where that's Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, Proverbs mainly. Proverbs. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know the exact citation. So, why do I bring those things up? Because God is at work. And it should be evident in your life. And if you are truly His, you should be able to rest in that. You should be able to rest in the fact that He is a God who loves you. He is a God who cares for you. He is a God who took the death and the hell and the pain and the suffering, the eternal death, pain, hell, and suffering that you deserved and poured it on His own Son so that you could have a heaven and a joy and a peace and a bliss that you could never earn on your own. But it's not simple. And as we go through the Old Testament, and so we read these stories, we read these stories of Pharaoh, and we read these stories of the children of Israel, and we read these stories of Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob. These are real people. Some of them are in hell today. Judas is in hell. Pharaoh is in hell. Cain's in hell. And some of them are in heaven. But that's God's work, not ours. And when we read these stories, we need to realize these are people just like me and you. Right? Remember, the only race of people that Jesus came to die for was the human race. It has nothing to do with your culture, your skin color, your language you speak, or what part of the world you come from. We're all children of Adam. And when you read these stories, there's a a united message in that. That the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that story is played out in each and every one of our lives in different ways. And if you're in this room today and you know in your heart that you are a born-again, blood-bought child of God, you know that you are a vessel of mercy, you have nothing to brag about, you have nothing to boast about, you did nothing to earn it, and you'll do nothing to keep it. But you can rest in the fact that God always keeps His promise, and that is expressed in the entirety of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. God always keeps His promise. If you're in this room today and you have never trusted Him, and you're still playing games... And you're still rejecting Him. His condemnation and His wrath is just as much a promise as His salvation. And unless you repent, you will likewise perish. You have to turn from sin. You have to turn from self. You have to turn from trying to do it your way. You have to try to turn from doing it in your power and trust in Christ and Him alone. And so, every one of us in this room are a vessel. And what type of vessel you all will be proven by the life that you live. There's not a one of us that will be in heaven one day that will be able to brag about it being there because none of us earn it. And there's not a single person going to be in hell that can blame God for it because they rejected Him. And so we never got into the passage tonight, but I, I, I hope that I hope that what you see in this is a God who created you, a God who loves you, a God who despite 
a creation that rejected him and turned their back on him and spit on him and nailed him to a tree. He still loved them and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And he laid his life on that cross down for his sheep. I am the good shepherd. I lay my cross down for my sheep. My sheep know my voice. And when I call, they come. How do you know you're his? Because he called you by name. And you came. Right? And so, uh, I hope this gives you some things to wrestle with and struggle with. Um, If you have never personally took to the side and read Romans 9 by yourself and got alone and got mad at God because of what it says, then you hadn't read it and hadn't understood it. Because to Adam, that's not fair. When you read it, it's going to make you angry. But if you're a child of God, you understand that He's a good God. And He's a just God, but He's also a merciful God. And that justice and that mercy were expressed on that cross. And if you turn from sin and self and turn to what He did on that cross, He will forgive you. He will save you. He will give you eternal life. Amen? Amen. Father, thank You for this night. Thank You for this time we've had together tonight. I do pray that these um, these scriptures that we've talked about these night tonight these these realizations that we've come to through studying your word and through studying your scripture will weigh heavy on our hearts that we will continue to be conformed to your image to stop depending upon ourselves to stop trusting in what we do and trust in you and your son alone to trust in you holy spirit to conform us to the image of Jesus to Help us to know the Scriptures, to help us to receive them, to believe them, to grow in them, to have the strength and the willingness to live them out in our lives and to share them with those around us. So be with us now as we go. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.